Welcome to Buffeting, the podcast with my wife Cass Ew. and I share our conversations on investing with you as we try to keep compounding capital so I don't have to go back to being a carpenter. And I don't have to go back working with real estate agents. <laughs> we hope you find it informative and entertaining. But we are not your financial advisors and nothing we say should take as investment advice. As always, do your own research, which is more fun. And now without further ado, on to the episode. The Fed's printing money, and you are shredding that money. <laughs> Solving the problem should be the goal, not creating a simple solution. Of course, you want to have a simple solution if possible, but you want to solve the problem first and then try and simplify. And as long as there's someone else willing to hold that bag for the same price yeah. and give you their dollars in return, that wealth is destroyed or it's in hibernation. Look, we can go straight from cryptos to over to NFTs, which is just a whole other world of weird. Yeah, so to the best the best we understand it, an NFT is simply the original digital copy of something. And the digital copy looks exactly the same as all the next copies. So it's not like the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa does not look the same as the picture of the Mona Lisa in your house, which is why you can understand why the two things are of different value. Now, who's to say if people will, reflexivity-wise, who's to say if people in the future won't decide and it might be stable that the first tweet of Jack Dorsey is worth something in 20 years' time? Who knows? It's it's similar to art in that way. But, but is the fact that that picture of that first tweet... Any copy of it can be used for whatever purpose anyone wants to use it for. They all look the same. They all look the same. You can't use the specific original, which is linked to the token that you buy, but any copy of it yeah. looks identical. Yeah. So, yeah, the case for NFTs. Again, I want to know how you start producing money from an NFT. Yeah. And to people saying, like, like look, that's not important. Why would you care if it produces money? You know, it's going up in value. Well, not producing money, but going up in value is a bubble. <laughs> it is. That, that is what a bubble is, you know. If you had a piece of anything, you know, a book, a piece of timber, a guitar, that's just sitting there going up in value because people are bidding it up, bidding it up, bidding it up, bidding it up. Well, it may become a store of value at some point, but it's not producing anything. So... If someone could explain to me how NFTs are going to produce profit, cash flow. The only, like, this is the case that I've only ever been able to make for it, right? So, yeah. art NFTs, okay? If you want to run a digital art gallery yeah. that people, when virtual reality is our new reality in 100 years, okay? We're all living in virtual worlds. Yeah. You want to open an art gallery and have your NFTs up on display, yeah. okay? And you charge people admission into yeah. the virtual art gallery, to look at your NFTs. Okay, mm -hmm. that's going to produce cash flow for you. Sure. What I would say to that is, why would someone come into your art gallery and pay a price to see these artworks when they can see them anywhere, on any other screen, on any other device or platform? For free. Because you don't actually own any IP there. You just own a token. You own the, the, own the, you own the right to the original. Now, the right to the original is valuable to people at the moment. It's valuable to people who are buying NFTs yeah. as opposed to people who don't know what an NFT is and couldn't ever fathom paying to 
have the pleasure to view one because we can't just say uh, artwork NFT is the same as real world yeah. art. Yeah. Because don't you think that like the value of seeing the original Mona Lisa, right, as humans, the value to stand there and look at that artwork yeah. is because someone like many, many years ago stood in that same spot and painted that person with their hands, yeah. with real paint, and it was a real person. Like that's what mm. adds value to the art. Yeah. Yeah, the it's fact a hard that one. it's like something that's been made with hands. It's a human method of value. Yeah. And it's something that I don't think you can ever really apply to, the, to a, a di- digital, digital world. Yeah. Yeah, because it looks the same. Anyway, I could be completely wrong there as well. Yeah. But of that's just my perception of it. Yeah. So if I could find a way to short the NFT market. Yeah. That'd be really interesting. Well, that applies to both um, non-Bitcoin crypto. So, like, if we could find a way to short non-Bitcoin crypto, we'd do that. That was safe to do it. Mm-hmm. And we could uh, find a way to short a basket of the most ridiculous looking NFTs that, you know, no, no, I'm not talking about Banksy's NFT or, you know, some famous artist's NFT. I wouldn't touch that. You can understand because of their names attached to it. You know, and that's a... Yeah. You know, some ridiculous gif that's just sold for eighty thousand dollars like give me a break insane insane yeah it's scary it's scary you know it's scary, it's scary. Yeah. it scares me because i think what happens to people who have got substantial amounts of money i mean you can take eighty thousand dollars and you can put a deposit on a house or you can start a business you can do something real that's going to actually do something in the economy you know that's going to you might create a new product something you know never been seen before and that'll be of, of value to our society. Or you can leave the money, the 80 grand, in a digital version of a digital version of some bullshit. Hoping that you someone know, at some point in time is going to pay you pay the same money you. that you paid for exactly. it. Exactly. And you'll be able to recapture yeah. that and put it into dollars. But the fact remains, you've put dollars into something that is pretty much stuck there forever. Yep. And as long as there's someone else willing to hold that bag for the same price yeah. and give you their dollars in return, that wealth is destroyed or it's in hibernation. Yeah. Like that's done. They're yeah. poor choices and they have permanent impacts on our collective capital. Yeah. And that's, I think, a lot of our frustration at, at this is because people are spending a lot of time, you know, spending time, you know, watching crypto prices, watching stock prices in bubble, bubble stocks, you know. All these people who are doing this i would just say to you get out there and start something real get out there back yourself read a book start a business do something you're passionate about because that's that's going to be long-term successful yeah if you you do care about financial freedom yeah if these financial instruments are interesting to you and and if it's opened a doorway for you to start investing with money then do it in a proper way now yeah the opportunity is there but it's quite ironic that Everyone's worried about the currency being debased mm-hmm. through all the money printing. And so the solution is crypto or NFTs or, you know, getting your money into these digital spaces. Yeah. Because really, you're just solving the debasement problem, aren't you? You're like, the Fed's <laughs> printing money and you are shredding that money <laughs> directly <laughs> by putting it into these spaces that you're never going to get back out from. Well, like yeah. It's going that, from that's a our, that's our to opinion, a shredder. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> In my head. Uh, yeah, it's very ironic to me that because of you know, the money supply having increased 25%, which is what it has increased at and, you know, in, the, in, in US dollar terms, last time I checked, and because it's increased 25% in, 
we might get inflation of 4%, which means you might be losing 3% a year if you leave your money in the bank account. So if your money's in the bank getting 1%, inflation kicks off at about 4 or 5%. Okay, you're losing 4 or 5% a year. But if your money's in Bitcoin and it goes down 50%, like that's a, you need a lot of inflation to, to make those two investments yeah, what's comparable. Worse? You know, what's, what's worse, worse here? Really? Yeah, so we'll we'll see. Like these are our pains at the moment, aren't they? But yeah, you know, it's a fascinating time to be living in. So fascinating. I we'll just, really, yeah, yeah. I do feel like we are living in what would have felt like tulip mania. Yeah. We're living in the middle of it. But instead of people just buying tulips, um, they're just fucking buying everything. Yeah. The everything bubble. The everything bubble. The meme bubble. This is what it's going to be known as. How embarrassing is that? I'm not sure if embarrass is the right word. I just, I'm, I'm seeing like a lot of, a lot of people making money that don't know how lucky they've gotten. And, you know, it's a common thing in bubbles to confuse luck with skill. Skill. And, you know, we, we've been investing for eight years with our, with our money and like made a lot of mistakes, lost money, made money, you know, got the battle scars from it basically. And I couldn't be happier if someone has made, you know, a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars from, from, from this speculative bubble, speculative mania. But unless you get out that money out of there and you get it into something real, a house that produces rent, a stock that produces profit, these are things that there's some tangible aspect to them that you can hold to and say no, no matter what the price does i'm getting my dividend the company is producing cash flow and, and retain that and reinvesting it and that action there of being like you know what i've done well out of this little crypto bubble yeah. i've made a massive return on my money um but this has been down to luck yeah at no point in along the way have i actually calculated this is going to happen yep and so i'm going to pull out now i'm going to take these dollars yep. and i'm going to put it into something with a little bit more security yeah that is skill at that point for sure You're turning your luck yeah, into yeah. skill and that's something to be i i'd be quite impressed by and that, and there are i won't say who it was but there was there was a person who was a big proponent of crypto that we know yes who who messaged me and said that he's pulled he's pulled it out uh, it was too stressful for him you know, he was managing some of his um his family's money. That is impressive. You know, and I, I couldn't be more I couldn't be more impressed to be to be quite honest, because the ability to change your mind um is a is a weapon in the arsenal of of the greatest investors. The, the the ability to be confident in a thesis, recognize that it's run its course, that things are getting you you're either too concentrated in one asset or the underlying ideas that have made you buy it, you know, and actually being able to take your money out and potentially miss out yeah. on, f- on well, further gains. I, like, I'm not quite sure if his thesis has changed. Like He's probably just as confident that, you know, something could come from crypto. what he held. Yeah. Um, but he just, he respects the potential of what that money means for him and his family. Yeah. And he's just doing the smart, safer thing. And yeah, I think, obviously, we think he's done the right thing. <laughs> yeah. But um, the point is, like... You at no point know when the best time to pull out is. No one can judge that based on anything. No, it's no. just a feeling. Yeah. And this could go on for another five years, another 10 years yeah. or another year. Like we have no idea. So yeah. you just got to try and make the most sense of what you're doing at any point in time and make sure you're not risking something you need for something you don't need. Yeah, of course. That's, yeah, it's a great principle. Never is something you do need for something you don't need. And that's why we've never taken leverage or anything yet. No. Because at the end of the day, whenever you 
take on debt, you magnify your returns, but of course you magnify your losses. And to all these people who've been, you know, levered into the housing market, that's another, you know, incredible run that the housing market has had in all countries. Mm-hmm. You know, Australia's housing market seems indestructible. Well, all Australians of- know is housing. It feels like as long as that's the case, yeah. there's nowhere else people are diversifying their funds into. Yeah. Housing's just all they have. So at what point is that? <laughs> yeah, you you need a huge problem with like you would think something some problem with China. If that if that those capital flows from the mining industry mm. were to stop, mm-hmm. then we would be in real trouble as an economy. And, you know, all those people making big money, you know, in working in the mining and Obviously, the taxes that come from the mining, that's a huge inflow of capital that helps to prop up the housing market. It just does. You know, that's where the government gets its ammunition for the first home buyer grants and the tax write-offs and the negative gearing and all these kind of things. Like This is where you know it comes from. Mm. It's not from the housing itself. Housing, housing is not an industry. It's, a, it's, a not exactly a, it's not a waste of capital in an economy, but it ain't the best use of capital either. You need decent housing for your population, but you don't need perfect housing. You, you, you take everyone in the economy and you put them in brand new homes, haven't changed a thing. Maybe everyone's a bit more comfortable. You but. really want your citizens to be like creative, entrepreneurial, yeah, try and creating stuff. businesses mm-hmm. that you can export to the rest of the world. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know how Australia does on the global outlook of that, but I, I do oh, get the feeling Australians, it's just housing. That's their investment philosophy. Housing and super and index funds. <laughs> Yeah, housing and banks that own housing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so incestuous. <laughs> no, it's 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 a worry, but look, we've been wrong about that for quite a few years now, thinking the housing market was overvalued and it keeps keeps going up, keeps going up. Look, we used housing as our first little step on the ladder. Yeah, worked well, but the flexibility yeah. of being able to own companies in different countries that do different things, you know. That's one thing I've really come to appreciate is how do you be concentrated but also still be diversified, right? Because I would argue that with our six stocks spread across the world, we're actually more diversified than someone who owns an Australian index. Because if you own the Aussie index or let's say you're in a super fund that owns the, the top 20, for example, I can think of a number of factors, the unwinding of the housing bubble, issues with China, you know, another virus resurgence, you know, problem with the government's credit rating. Like all of these things would have a very negative result on the banks and, you on know. The, on the top 100 companies top 100 of those companies. indexes. Yeah, They'd yeah. all be impacted on the same kind of news. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a funny thought because we've structured our portfolio so we're in different countries yeah. across different industries and even – some of our positions are hedges within themselves yeah. whilst also being good investments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have really good, I'm not sure if the correct way to say it is negative correlation, but, you know, we have a lot of this goes up, this goes down, this goes down, this goes up. We have a lot of, there's no correlation between our different investments and how they're moving at the moment. Like that could obviously change. Mm. And, you know, in the virus. That could like, just be luck. In the it virus, could not it be still there, but... Of course, of course it could be. But yeah, you want diversification. Diversification in terms of what negative events could happen that would wipe you out all of your investments. You know, what negative event can we think of that would simultaneously destroy the cannabis industry, housing in America, defense contracting in Australia, 
the general growth of the Indian economy and our Fairfax India investment. Yeah. Um, you know, huge social media juggernaut in Facebook, you know, that's growing 20, 30% every year. A European bank, an Australian gold miner, like yeah. you, all these different, they're all so different, aren't they? Yeah. So, now, now Universal Music as well. Yes. Thanks, Ackman. Great. We still need to go into that deal. Silver we will Fox. next time. <laughs> no, we'll, yeah, we'll do Pershing Tontan next time, I think. But yeah, thinking about risk, not in terms of uh, more stocks equals less risk, thinking in terms of how many things can we think of disastrous scenarios that would actually touch all of our companies mm. equally. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to think of something short of nuclear war, asteroid strike, you know, that's actually a situation because we've been through such a period where even the virus, like we just came back so strong. And I think so many people who, yeah, so many people who are investing for the first time, you know, it worries me that I think the average age of the Robin Hood investor was 31, 31, right? 31, yeah. And as Mike Green pointed out, you don't need many 60, you need twice as many 20-year-olds to offset a 60-year-old to get that average down to 31. I'm not sure if that's quite right, but yeah, you need like, a lot more young people to offset the old people. Well, historically, yeah. there's always yeah. been a lot more older people investing. Yeah, for sure. So your base there is older, above for sure. 31, for sure. for sure. So everyone who's changed that average to be 31 now yeah. tells me they're all in their 20s, early 20s, late teens yeah. even. Yeah, you could easily have 70% of Robinhood traders below 30, but have the average still 31 if you have a significant amount of older people that are offsetting that. And that's scary. That that's is scary, scary. Because all they know is basically what they've seen. And what they've seen is crazy. It's a rising it's not, tide. It's yeah. not normal. No, it's not. And I think I'm lucky because um, like when I started out, I think it was around, what, what year was it? 2013? That was like a very flat time for the markets for two years. So I went through like a period. My first period of investing was through a period of nothing's happening. No one's interested. You know, companies would move for specific reasons to those companies. And you could very logically like say, okay, well. That made sense. You know. Yeah. That's moved quite a bit. What happened? Look at yesterday's news. Ah, that's what happened. That's what happened, you know. And that's a lovely environment to be investing in because you can be like, oh, great. You know, like I can start looking at the fundamental reasons that drive the share prices. But then, you know. Going through the years, we've now accelerated into a totally different environment where huge amounts of people have come in. You know, money is being made by anybody who's taking risk. So you're getting, you're getting that feedback. Anytime you take more risk, make more money. More risk, more money. That strategy of take more risk, be rewarded. It would have been rewarded in property. We've been re- rewarded in the share market. It's been rewarded in crypto, and. You know, just like the parent, as we were saying before, you know, the parent that's creating the moral hazard by always bailing out their child. Mm. You know, if everything, you know, if you've got a kid who's on drugs and who's drinking and who's smashing cars and every time that happens, you come in there and say, oh, it's okay, Johnny, you know, we'll... We'll pay for your car to be fixed, you know, know. we'll pay your court fees, bail you out of jail, you know. Here's a house, here's all your needs met until you're back on your feet. You keep doing that, you're not letting that kid learn. Yeah. The real rules for itself. Yeah. To be self-sustainable. And the, our capitalist system works by trial error and the allowance of failure. So we have bankruptcy courts mm-hmm. because we know that you cannot prevent a certain amount of bankruptcies. If you're going to have a have risk being taken, 
for some people it's not going to work out and that's why i have like the greatest respect like you know any respect that goes to investors it's the entrepreneurs that deserve the respect i think you know we sit at home we read we research we think we pick stocks and we stick to our guns Mm. we're not at the coal face, you know, trying to develop a product that's not working, trying to deal with customers, oh, you know, deal with employees. Yeah. Like, this is a totally different world. And, you know, we need to respect, you know, that well, as a culture. We're dependent on those people, those creative yeah. thinkers, yeah, those yeah. entrepreneurs, those business people, those yeah. CEOs. These are the people who we want to put our money in them yeah. to compound for us through yeah. whatever instrument they, they're creating. Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of like if people realized that investors really just like they're just picking yeah. good people, good companies, yeah. and they're growing their wealth just by backing those horses. Backing the correct horses. Yeah. yeah. It seems like such a simple thing to do, although it is very difficult. Sure. But um, on the surface level, on paper, you'd think everyone just would be like, oh, I'll be an investor then. That sounds so easy. Mm. Um, instead of being the entrepreneur or the one doing the hard work to make that return, to yeah. like turn that $1 into $2, like that is the difficult job. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The entrepreneur is, you know, and that's why countries like like Singapore have had so much, and America too, like they have a very positive entrepreneurial culture. You know, to be an entrepreneur, to be a Steve Jobs is a glorified thing. Whereas in Australia, we're just trades and real estate agents, you know, <laughs> like, and- you know, I'm, I'm sure there is some innovation that's happened in, re, you know, real estate and, you know, and, you know, we need tradies, of course, but we need new products. We need exciting ideas. We need people taking risk and then people like us come in and try and allocate the capital the best that we can hmm. um, based on the evidence. Uh, and that hopefully produces products and useful things for everybody. And that's how the system kind of feeds. But where the system can break down is if at some point in that beautiful chain of, you know, entrepreneur creates product, product creates profit, you know, profit creates more products. If after the product, after the profit is created, the money goes into an NFT, <laughs> you know, and then it's the, the money goes there to die. I'm not saying there's a certain amount of art and a certain amount of Of all the information waste. available to us at this point in time, it goes sure. there to die. Yeah. Until someone can make a case for how that is going to then produce more money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not productive. So you can't have too much of that in an economy. And when you've gotten lots of speculation, not only do you get speculation like in terms of the destruction of capital from the loss of speculation, but it's always associated with fraud too, which crypto is. You know, there's been so much fraud and so much loss, which is which is very sad because it's wasted opportunity. Every every time some money is lost, you know, that money could have been used to try something real in the real world. Exactly. And then it's like, well, you know, at what point are governments gonna step in? When are they going to step in on this crypto thing? Because you understand how their hands are tied. Yeah. Because the whole movement is based on this ideological, separate from the system, yep. you know, deregulated. When when can the government step in and be like, okay, guys, there's some wealth destruction happening here. It's yeah. not going to look good for our economy in the future. We've got to ban some of this shit. Can you imagine? Yeah. That's just kind of going to prove these idealistic people's theory even though it's not proving the theory it's like it's the parents stepping in and saying all right kids you've played too long yeah you've ruined your toys now we're gonna have to fix this mess it's a it's a hard balance and that's why when you 
criticize these government bodies. Just think how you would do the job before you criticize. Yeah. Think what's a better way of doing it. And if you can't come up with a better way yeah. that actually works in the real world, yeah. in a scalable structure for billions of people, then yeah, keep your thoughts to yourself. You know, or like hopefully we are now caveating your thoughts as speculation. Yeah, which is most of this. Let's be honest. Most of this conversation is. Hmm. It's just us like shooting the shit, throwing some ideas out there, which is an important part of the process. You just kind of throw some ideas out there, see what sticks. Yeah. You know, see what kind of feedback you get. But if someone could just specifically explain to me, you know, one paragraph, a page, two pages, however long it takes, specifically explain to me what the use case is for crypto, I would be eternally grateful. What is the specific thing? that it does that is better than our current system. Now, I thought I thought I found something the other day when I was looking at how to short crypto. <laughs> so, I found on a crypto exchange, you can buy a cryptocurrency contract that pays 10x. Yeah, through the know? coin called Alt Doom. Alt Doom, you know, which is altcoin doom, which is, you know, basically a bet against the cryptocurrency. We're still going to look into that because I'm pretty sure that you get then paid in cryptocurrency for the, the payoff. So, I've got to look into it. But perhaps... There is a lot of um, what feels like rent-seeking and like toll road kind of behavior in the financial system where people are getting paid just because they've set up these big structures to guarantee security and whatever. They're now placing a disproportionate cost, perhaps, on the average person when all they want to do is transfer money around. You know, obviously, Visa and MasterCard are constantly taking payments and they're hugely profitable companies. So, if you could bypass those companies, perhaps. But that's what I'm saying. They, they could have bypassed them. Yeah. They, like at this point in time, this is when they should be bypassing them. Yeah. To maintain that capture of their client. So yeah. there's no middleman. But that's not what's happening. No. And you know why? Because there's no board at the top of Bitcoin. There's no management team. No. There's no one who's like, okay, credit card section. Um, can you send these cards out to some people so they can yeah. use Bitcoin? And, and, oh, and hey, deal with the FPOS facilities. Yeah. And code something so that people can use their Bitcoin card at every FPOS terminal. Yeah. Like, that's why these systems are in place. Yeah. That's why we have these structures. So, unless your alternative method can be scaled to fit with real life. Yeah. And to fit within these systems we already have running that everybody in the world is using. Mm-hmm. Then it's not an option. It's not an answer. No. And I'm not opposed to a better answer. That's for sure. But if they're, yeah, but if anyone has anything that just shuts all of that down, if if anyone has a better explanation for a certain coin that does everything and can be scaled to that level, I'd love to hear about it. Simply, I know we're obviously asking a lot like of random people, you know, but what I'm saying is if you've heard us and you've said, oh, you guys are full of shit, you know, we don't agree with what you're saying, you know, here's where you're wrong, like I will change my opinion tomorrow. I just, of all the people, like we listen to the Coinbase CEO on a podcast this oh, morning. And, if, and if I, the guy must have compared crypto to the internet like 75 times in an hour. Like, <laughs> he goes, well, it's like the internet because uh, there were problems at the start because we've got problems now, you know. And when, and when the internet had to go from dial up to broadband, broadband you know, just that's, like that's what we're doing, you know. Yeah, I know. Reasoning by analogy, which is something that religions do as well you know don't don't reason based on the facts reason based on an analogy that's not quite appropriate and that way your brain locks in your brain think you think you've understood it you haven't understood what's happening at the base what you've understood is the analogy 
you know, and that's where the danger is, is that when people are only explaining things, analogies can be good, but you still have to understand the original point mm. that, you know. Has to be true. Has to be true. Yeah. I especially loved the Coinbase CEO. Was he CEO or founder? C- or CEO. Yeah. When he's like, to- started talking about the legal landscape uh-huh. and how he's like, oh yeah, there's even, there's even people pushing for laws now to be less than two pages. A law should be less than two pages long. And I'm just like, that is so laughable. That says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. People just want simplicity. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes things aren't that simple. No, they're not. Why should a law fit into two pages? What's your font size? <laughs> and and what's with the two pages? Why not one page if we're going for simplicity? Why not half a page? I mean, it, it's just, you're missing the point, right? Yeah, yeah. Solving Solving the problem should be the goal not creating a simple solution. Of course, you want to have a simple solution if possible, but you want to solve the problem first and then try and simplify. You don't want to simplify first and then try and apply it to everything. Mm. You can't just take a simple idea and just say that it works for everything because that's what religions do. Or on the religion bandwagon. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, Unfortunately, I, I feel like we've ranted this whole episode. I feel We're like just too. getting our frustrations out because yeah. I am... You know what I'm frustrated with? I would love to own crypto right now. I'd love to own crypto if I could find something that actually made sense. Yeah. With the base theory, with rolling it out into reality. Yep. With actually improving the system. Yep. And I've been I've been fortunate that I've had like some pretty smart people reach out to me on Twitter. Like, you know, Steve, for example, who, you know, has explained to me that it really does have potential as a store of value. Uh, yeah. And, and that that case was very convincing to me. So, he, he made a really good case. I'll, I'll retweet one of his posts to me, I think, after this. But yeah, he made a really good case that, look, this could, if, it, if the volatility comes down, this could work as a store of value. And that's why- it, For Bitcoin. For Bitcoin only. Yeah. And that's why it could be a intelligent speculation, you know, so as to be one day a store of value. Mm. But most of the people- investing in the other coins, Bitcoin getting in, that they don't have that rational kind of logical case for it while still being aware of it being an intelligent speculation. You know, they're setting their heights, their, their sights much higher. Mm. And what I'm interested in is what is the logical basis for those high aims and those goals, those lofty goals for Bitcoin in the future. That's what I want to find out. Yeah, That's what I want to know. Because some sort of crypto makes sense in my mind, but the foundation of it is that its user base, its holders, need to be financially literate. They need to be holding mm. because of the same thesis. Yeah. It's almost like I want financially literate coin, okay, that only certain people can buy into who are going to treat it responsibly. Yep. They're not doing it as speculation. No. Or a lottery ticket. Yeah, having a store of wealth, that can't be devalued based on currency creation. Yes. That does appeal to me. Sure. But how would that make it different from, you know, shares in a company where the company isn't issuing more shares? Like, why not use that as a store of value? Like, as Nassim Taleb said, you know, why not use Apple stock? If you're looking at it for a store of value, why not buy, buy part of a part of a business or why not buy, buy gold where that's historically been? So, that to me is not... Super no, persuasive, well, but I can see the argument at least. I mean, in, not in terms of an investment, in terms of maybe where we hold our cash. If sure, I, instead sure. of holding cash, I'd hold it in a crypto coin 
in something that can't be debased, but something that its value stays stable because its holder base yeah. is in it for a the same reason that we're in it for this for the stability and the preservation of purchasing power. The preservation of preservation wealth. of wealth, not yes. the growth of wealth. No. You cannot grow wealth sustainably no. in something that's not producing anything. Yeah, that's right. But to have that as well in terms of like fast transaction speeds across yeah. into different countries, that appeals to me. Sure, sure. But at this point in time, I'd want that to also be backed by gold. So it would have to have a fundamental yeah. basis to it as well. And you need to see very clearly the gold reserves and they would need to be verified by a third party. Yeah. Because Tether, 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 I think, Tether, yeah. like Tether was, was supposed to be backed by reserves and they couldn't prove they had the reserves. Like this is not going right. to this is not yeah. going to work. Like this is not no. no. The, I think the crypto that I might one day invest in doesn't exist yet, but I'm going to keep an eye out for how this space evolves. Definitely. Because it'll all come down to is it a legitimate industry? Yeah. I think in a in another 10 years we'll be able to see that and we're going to keep learning about it. Yeah. Of and course. if a coin pops up that ticks all my boxes, we'll talk about it. But until then, I'm staying clear of it. Yeah, especially when there's so many great opportunities to invest in businesses that are compounding, you know, retained earnings. Like, it's just... Oh, yeah. For our compounding purposes, you know, businesses is all you need. Yeah. Good companies at good values. You know, Buffett's the richest person in the world and he's compounded at about 20% a year for his whole life, you know. So, that's your ceiling. <laughs> that's what you can hope for if you really do a great job, 20 25%. If you add some leverage in terms of some debt or some... Other things, you might get there quicker. But yeah, there's no free lunch, unfortunately. Not that I've found. Yeah. We probably won't use leverage, but even with rates so low, I just, I do worry about how it changes your decision-making process. Yeah, I know. When you're not actually using your money. Look, if if um, things really pull back hard and, um, you know, leverage is available cheap and we can buy a house using 2% interest and a house that's yielding 8 10%, which... Which was reality in America. That happened in America. You need to have the kind of... If you're going to lever on something, you need to not do it with your whole portfolio. So, you need to not risk your whole portfolio. And then you need to also make sure that cash flow is solid. Very solid. Yeah. Because um, you're on the hook if you don't meet it. There's the danger. But yeah, it's been pretty fascinating few weeks of floating around the crypto world, trying to make it all make sense. I think that's why it keeps getting our attention. You know, it's because it's, in our mind, a symptom of the bubble, the everything bubble, the meme stock bubble, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, well, we're, we're still... It? Two trillion is in crypto and NFTs now? Yeah, I think that's right. Two trillion dollars. Two trillion dollars. So that's... Two trillion dollars is the value of all of the crypto and NFTs combined together. So that's not necessarily that that much money has gone into it. Well, it has to mean that. Well, I'm saying, see, I'm, I'm imagining a situation where there's a whole bunch of people who are holding it. So let, let's say 90% of the Bitcoin is not actually being traded. And what you've got is 10% of the remaining crypto, you know, being bid up. So what you get is if the 10% of Bitcoin, so that would be 200 billion. If that gets bid up to 400 billion, technically that values the whole Bitcoin blockchain at, so that's what I mean when I say that they're perhaps, taking it on the last price and yeah. times in it by the total yeah. amount of coins. Yeah, that's what they, that's when they say that the difference to, in my mind is okay. not necessarily that you know 
if you could sell it all in one hit, that's technically what you can get, but you couldn't sell it all in one hit. But that, that applies to every asset. Okay. Yeah, it's always... Oh, the, that makes the, me feel yeah. a bit better. So how much actual raw dollars yeah. have gone into that? I'd love to know. I'd love to know. Anyway, either way, we started looking at because we're like, okay, where is this bubble the most evident and how can we hedge against it? Yeah. Still an open question. Yeah. We're still we're still trying to figure out a way. Yeah. The, the whiteboard is only providing questions at the moment. No answers. <laughs> Lots of questions. Anyway. Anything, yeah. else you, anything else you want to say, love? No. I think that's about all my ranting today. I sounded very convinced of everything I said, I'm sure, but I'm not. This is just me theorizing in my yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's best to get your, th- your, your, um, your theories out in like a confident <laughs> way. So when you listen to them back, you can say, oh, boy, I'm full of shit. Oh, That's I what just, I like. Yeah, I don't realize how confident I sound until I think back to what I just said. and like, yeah. oh, I'm not actually sure of that. I should say no, that no. after every sentence. Everything we've said has been in the range of like we're one to two percent confident in it and we need to be like 98 percent for us to invest in anything so well, that, that should tell you how much the, 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 how wide the gap is between, <laughs> yeah. between where the capital actually goes and where the thoughts go the thoughts go everywhere the words get words and thoughts are free chuck them out there get them out in the open listen to them back but you know the actual capital takes a bit more when we're confidence. talking about a specific company and we're going through an analysis of that company, yep. that's when we talk in like black and white. This is what yep. is true. This is what we think. But yeah, these kind of conversations, I think people will understand. It's just like back and forth, ideas, yeah, thoughts. Exactly. It's just, it's just loose fragments of something. It's, kin- it's kindling for the fire of potential ideas. Very good. So. <laughs> Thanks for listening through our croaky blue voices. Croaky ranting. If you got this far thank you so much for listening we really hope you enjoyed the conversation now if you'd like to become my 22nd or my 43rd follower on twitter links are in the show notes below mitch anything else nothing to add <laughs> <laughs>